welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So some of the stuff that I've been learning over the past few days, I felt like would be helpful to share with all of us as we journey this together. And the first thing that I felt like I wanted to share is that none of this makes sense. None of this adds up. And none of this is right. It's not right. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense that Micah, with a bright future ahead of him, was to lose his life this past week. That doesn't add up. And some things don't. Some things will never make sense to us. David, David's son Solomon felt the same way. In Ecclesiastes, he writes, Nothing makes sense. Everything is nonsense. I've seen it all. Nothing makes sense. Where is there to show for all our hard work here on this earth? People come and people go, but still the world never changes. The sun comes up and the sun goes down. It hurries right back to where it started from. Some things just don't make sense. Some things are not right. But God is good to meet us in those things. And there will be a time where God will meet us in the confusion. That time is not right now. But later there will be a time where God meets us in the confusion and gently and in love speaks to us. You don't have to have this all figured out. Of course, that time is not now. But some things don't make sense or add up. Secondly, I felt like the Lord wanted to share with all of us this morning that life is the most precious thing. That life is the most precious thing. And life with Christ is even more precious than that. And Micah knew Jesus. And Micah loved Jesus. I'll share this on Tuesday at the memorial service. But the picture I choose to hold in my head of Micah as, um, is not the body that I saw in the pediatric ICU. I choose to hold in my head this picture of Micah, that Micah, if you knew him, will make, will make sense to you. But here at Vineyard, we leave a space for, for folks to receive ministry right now, and ministry, we call it ministry time. So we, we think that it's good to pray for people where they're at, because God wants to meet them where they're at, not just stick like a note on our fridge, say, hey, we'll pray for you when I think of you. I mean, that's good too, but... So in one of, uh, one of these ministry times a few weeks ago, um, I had opened it up for people who wanted to come forward to receive prayer. And sometimes that can be an awkward moment. And you've seen it before where like some people are like teetering on going forward. They don't, they're really struggling. Maybe, maybe they really feel that like God wants them to go up, but they're like, I don't know. What will my friends think? I don't know. What's, I, don't know I don't know if I should go up or not. Other people will come and they'll, they'll bow at the, uh, at the stage or wait for somebody to pray for them off to the side. Not Micah. It's not Micah's style. 
So in this time, it was no different than any other time, but this is the picture that I choose to hold of Micah in my head, that in this time a few weeks ago, something, God was doing something with him, and he felt that he needed to respond to Jesus in that moment. So this time, not unlike all of the other times, what does Micah do? He makes sure he's got eye contact with me. He's not going to anybody else but me from over there, and he makes eye contact with me, and then the beeline right to me. And Micah, um, right over here, I was standing here, and, and then he just stands there, just stands in front of me. I'm like, hey, bud. He's like, hey. I'm like, do you, I was like, do you want some prayer? And, 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 we, and we ministered, and I forget who else was praying with me that day, but That's who Micah was. Micah responded to Jesus. Micah responded to God's voice. And that's the picture that I choose to hold in my head. Micah's life was precious. Life with Christ. Micah knew Jesus. Life with Christ is more than the most precious thing. In James... Chapter 4, we read, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into this city and spend a year there and trade and, and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be tomorrow. What is your life? For you are a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will both live and do this or that. And what James is writing here is not that like, People's lives are worthless, but just the contrary. That your life, what is your life? We're here for just a brief moment, and then we're gone. And that life is a gift that's given to us by a God, by a Father who loves us very much. In 1 Timothy 6.13, we read that it's God who gives life to all things. God's the giver of life. Living, breathing, being alive is a gift from God. Thirdly, I feel like the Father would want to speak to us today and just impress upon my heart that he meets people in pain. That God is not absent in the pain that you feel. In fact, he's right there in the middle of it. God meets people in pain. Isaiah 53 says about Jesus, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And as we learned, as Jeff spoke a few weeks back, pain is the soil where the deepest kind of faith in God grows. Pain is the context for maturing our love for God and for others. Sometimes, all time, we grow through pain. We develop, we f- our spiritual formation, who we are as people, happens through moments of pain. And in that pain, we know that he is God, Emmanuel, God with us. In Matthew, blessed are those who mourn. The Nugents are blessed. Because they will be comforted. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, he wrote this book called The Problem with Pain. 
And he writes this about pain. He says, when pain is to be born, a little courage helps much more than knowledge. Translation, what the Nugents don't need right now and what we don't need right now is more information on how to deal with our pain. Like from a textbook or or a, a clinical study or whatever. That's not what... Lewis says that's not what we, we need when we're in pain. A little courage helps more than much knowledge. A little human sympathy more than much courage. And the least tincture of the love of God more than anything else. It's the love of God that meets us in our pain. It's intimacy with the crucified Christ that gives legs to the hope of the resurrection. It's the tears that Jesus shed in the Garden of Gethsemane that allows us to see the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. The pain that you experience, the pain that Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane is the way that we see that the stone has been rolled away on Resurrection Sunday morning. When Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done... He's, God is coming down on our level and saying, I feel your pain, man. I feel your pain. God is not on some heavenly cloud twiddling his thumbs, turning a blind eye to all human suffering and pain. God in the person... If, if you want to know what God looks like in the middle of pain, God looks like Jesus through the church, the arms and legs of the church in the middle of pain. God is right there with us in the middle of pain. And it's the enemy who would want to say to you that God is absent from your pain, that God doesn't care. That's a lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God does not want to see any of us stuck in pain, but meets us in it. And it's up to us to say, come, come into that room. Come into that space of pain. Meet me here. I need you, God. I need you. I don't feel like you care for me. All of these questions that are spinning in in the Nugent family head, it's nothing new. Have you heard this short story? It's, It's an anonymous short story. And it's about how God is on trial. Do you know this one? And before the throne of God is like the myriad of humanity. And everybody is lined up before God, but people find out that it's less like heaven and more like a courtroom. And before the throne of God, there's a Holocaust survivor and she's got the number tattooed on her arm. And she says to God, where were you when bodies were being cremated in Auschwitz? Where were you? And then others from Cambodia and the killing fields and, and 
a woman who's been in a, a domestic violent situation for 30 years all ask the same thing. Where were you? And case after case was brought against God before his throne. And after a while, the jury deliberated and came back and they said, well, it's unanimous. Guilty. Guilty. God, you are guilty. And the penalty is read. And the penalty is given and the penalty is death. God must die. And God turns in love to the throng of humanity before, before him. And he says, he says, okay, I'll do it. Are we leveling with one another now that Jesus bore our pain at the cross? And though we might not see, it's this tension of the now and not yet, but the reality is, even though what we see doesn't line up, it doesn't add up. That death was swallowed up in victory. And that the grave was defeated. And that Jesus reigns victorious. And that forever and ever there will be no more bloodshed and no more hurt and no more pain because Jesus decided to identify with human suffering. He's with us in the boat. It's important for us to know that the greatest gift is the gift of presence. The greatest gift is the gift of presence. We read this in John 14. I'll ask the Father, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper and he may be with you forever. That's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. God sends Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to go away but I'm going to send another in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And in this way, God, the triune God, models for us what presence looks like. It's this divine design that he sets up that he wants us to express to one another. Because this may sound self-absorbed on the surface, but if you're with me in this moment, you'll understand there is no greater gift that you can give another human being than the gift of your presence. That presence matters. What just happened here with the Nugent family, that matters. It ma the card that you write, every little... This is, this is a tough one for me, but I'm going to say it because it's true. Every little Facebook message matters too. <laughs> I knew we'd get joy this morning. I knew it. <laughs> it matters. You showing presence, whether it's in the form of 
uh, dropping a dollar in the offering that just went around, or writing a card, showing up at a vigil, whatever it is to give your presence, don't withhold presents. Because if you withhold presence, you're denying a, a design that the Father, that he wants for you. He wants for you to show presence, to initiate. You might not know what to say. You might not know what to write. And that's okay. Because you don't have to. Because the greatest gift that you could ever give anyone is the gift of your presence. Presence matters. It's the greatest gift. Because the very ways that we know God are the same ways that we know each other. So let's show up. Vineyard Cleveland, let's show up. Let's be people of God's presence. That's become quite a bit of a cliche in the evangelical world today. But let's really be Jesus' hands and feet. Let's show up. Let's be people who show up. Three fingers pointed back at me. I hear you. I'm with you. Two more and then we'll close. Grieving together is better than grieving alone. There's such power in community. There's such power in community. I wanted to share with you this story. That after, through the whole, through the night, the nurse who is attending at night, and then the nurse in the morning. There were a group of eight to ten of us in the room at any given time. And we worshiped. There's something of like Paul and Silas moment happening there. When Paul and Silas were in, in prison and, and worship went up. And we were singing loud. We were probably making an annoyance of ourselves on the floor. But we didn't care. We didn't care because we were showing presence. And we were there and we were being the church. So we just sang as loud as we could. And we prayed. And we didn't care what we looked like when we prayed. Because life is precious. And Micah's life was precious. And so we didn't care if we spoke in tongues or who heard us. We just prayed out. We just had ourselves church in that room. And the nurse who was on duty through the night... And the nurse who was on duty in the morning both asked the same question. When they found out that the Nugent family was from Ashtabula and our church was in Parma Heights, they asked, what the heck are you doing driving to Parma Heights for church? They could not understand the same way that I could not understand when I first met the Nugents. When I first met Jason and Nita, the first time that they came to our church, they filled out one of those blue cards, and we follow up on every one. And so in staff meeting, the blue card is being passed around. It's Ashtabula. And I was like, are you kidding me? There's no way we're ever going to see this family again. Do you know how far Ashtabula is like past Boston or something? It's like way over there. Like, they're not coming back to our church. And wouldn't you know it, next Sunday, the Nugents showed up. And the Sunday following, and the Sunday following, and the Sunday following, and here we are. 
And so that question that the nurses asked after Micah had passed away, there was a Welsh uh, a nurse from Wales who was attending that morning. She'd lived in Cleveland for about 20 years. And she had tears in her eyes after Micah had passed. And she looked me in the eye and she said, now I know why. Now I know why they drive an hour and a half to be with you guys. I've never seen anything like this. And that, that made me so happy in a moment of sadness to know that I'm doing life with people who care for one another. Because it just doesn't happen like that. People go through tragedy and trauma every day and stay within the walls of the church. But to do life with you people (laughs) who are willing to be inconvenienced and show up is a treasure to me. Just a treasure that we are better when we grieve together than if we were to grieve in isolation. It's better to grieve together than it is to grieve alone. And lastly, when there are no words, Jason, you know, has shared with me, there's many people who say, you know, I just don't have any words. I just, I don't, what do you say? What do you say? But I felt the Lord impress upon me this thing that I'm learning is that when there are no words, the church is really funny because when there are no words, we sing. We're different because we sing. Aren't we crazy? Yes, I love it. We, and don't you love it? When there are no words, when we don't know what to say, when we don't know the right thing to, to say and we fumble over it and we don't know what to say, we sing. There's something in melody that comforts. There's something of heaven that comes down. When we sing together, when we worship together. Now, I'm not telling you that you should go prepare a solo and stand in front of Nita and just start singing. I mean, I don't know. If, if God's telling you to do that, then do it. But don't be surprised if she's like Simon Cowell and says, don't quit your day job. <laughs> keep, keep that in the shower. <laughs> but when we don't know what to say, we sing. And that's what we're going to do. I felt like um, we're free to go whenever, but we're going to worship together. And we're going, so you're welcome to linger here as long as you'd like. We want to create a space where as you're worshiping, if you've been touched by this event and you're saying, I don't know what to say, this is affecting me in this way, and I don't know what to do, um, then we want to create a space where you, you can receive prayer as well because it does affect us. It's not like, this isn't like a, this is a moment for us as a church to step into.